0: and there shall be no fun and games at TLC. Yeah, instead, all there's gonna be is just sadness (laughs) and pain. (laughs) You know what? Yowie wowie, that's all right. Babylon, Babylon, let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling, Babylon. Babylon. let's get to babbling it's all about some wrestling salutations marks it's your boy bobby that bearded kid aka young facial hair aka your favorite friend at the campfire randy smorton <laughs> and welcome to another installment of babble mania the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling uh we send shockwaves throughout the podcast world we bring the dynamite we keep it raw and if you disagree we just may bring the smack down uh I'm still not used to it. (laughs) Let's get hairy. Yes, indeedy, ladies and gentlemen. This podcast is going to have a little bit of a different recipe this time around. Um, This episode of Mania is probably going to be a little bit of a long one. It's also probably going to be very eventful. Uh, We are on the horizon of WWE TLC 2020. It is this evening on the WWE Network. So I figured in this installment of Mania, we would... Just change things up a little bit. So we're going to be kicking the episode off with NWA Shockwave. Then we're going to be talking about AEW Dynamite. And then we'll close the episode very, very WWE heavy with our Raw discussion. Then the SmackDown discussion. And then TLC predictions. So that means we're kicking things off with NWA Shockwave. NWA Shockwave started... This evening on a high note, in my opinion, and that high note is Aaron Stevens. Uh, I talked about it last week. Aaron Stevens is just fantastic. He always has been, and in my opinion, he always will be. Uh, The show kicks off with the return of Mae Valentine interviewing Aaron Stevens about his title defense later on in the night against Trevor Murdoch for the NWA national title. Uh Stevens is basically a hype man at this point, which is interesting because he's still in the Mongrovian karate <laughs> like character with uh oh my gosh, I forgot his name, Bocifus. Oh yeah, the question mark, <laughs> which is hilarious. But he's like his promo delivery right now is very like hype man It's a little weird hearing him do like these ad libs that like rappers do, but I'm here for it. It's funny, he does it well, and that's just a testament to his character. Uh, And then, you know, quickly, Shockwave just doesn't miss a beat. We go into our first match of the evening, which is uh, Allison K versus Nicole Savay. Now, Allison K at this point is an NWA powerhouse. And she's going up against somebody that I have never seen before. And they are calling her the queen of the suplex, which I think is interesting. So I'm probably going to be going to the internet and looking up some of her matches in smaller areas more than likely just to see, you know, if she's decent. This match was actually a pretty good showing for the two of them. Uh, This is kind of a big reason why I tune in to NWA uh, because what they give us is discovery. You know, last week, I discovered Watts and really enjoyed the match that he had with Eli Drake. And this week, I discovered another person I've never seen before in Nicole Savay. And it's just, it's really, really good for the world of wrestling to put eyes on people. Uh, She may have not have gotten the win here, but I know who she is now. And that is important. So, shouts out to NWA for doing things like that. Uh, match number two this evening is Watts and De Pope versus Zicky Dice and Effie. Watts, as I stated a moment ago, really, really impressed me last week. Uh, DePope, we all know who De Pope is, Elijah Burke, a veteran at this point in the world of professional wrestling, regardless of how you want to look at it. Uh, Zicky Dice is one of my favorites from the days of NWA Power. Very, very glad that I was introduced to him. I love his gimmick. I love his character. I love, I love Zicky Dice. I think he's wonderful, and I have no idea who Effie is, but he was wearing fishnets under his tights, and I can get behind something like that. I am, I'm glad to see something like that. As someone who dresses the way that they do and believes in self-expression and doesn't believe that an article of clothing belongs on a certain type of human body, I really really like that and I think it's cool and I think it's brave. Um, My favorite thing about this match was the difference in styles. Zicky Dice and Effie were like this childish heel team and somehow it balanced out really really well with the natural abilities that are possessed by Watts and Pope. Uh, Pope gets a hot tag at one point and pays homage to Dusty Rhodes. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, This tag team match was fantastic. Seeing the heels lose is always a feel-good moment, and NWA does it really well. NWA is all about tradition. You know, they're all about classic, composed, professional wrestling, and they give it to us in a modern-day form. And I've appreciated that since the birth of Power. And this episode of Shockwave felt a little bit more like power, and I think as time goes by, it will become something like that, and I I say that because afterwards, Pope cuts a promo. He's essentially disrespected by Zicky Dice, and Pope calls him out for breaking tradition and being disrespectful. So, this is the first time in Shockwave that, and I know we're only like three episodes in, but... This is the first time in Shockwave that there's been non-wrestling, I guess you could say. And I just can't wait to get back to the day where we're seeing promos and segments and build-ups amongst the matches. I think it's really really good for character development to have these things in there. And I think NWA gives us like a really refreshing thing that we don't see on a like, weekly basis, and I think that that's good. Um, Pope basically closes it out by telling all of us that he's coming for Zicky Dice's television title and reminds us all that Pope is pimping. Absolutely glorious. Now, we move on to our main event of the evening, and it is Aaron Stevens defending his NWA National Championship against Trevor Murdoch. This match is all Murdoch for... A pretty good little while until Stevens pulls him outside of the ring, blinds him with a stage light, and I thought he hit him with a low blow. It looked like he hit him with a low blow, but according to commentary, it was just a really harsh kick to the knee. I could have sworn it was a low blow, just saying. From this point on, however, it's all Aaron Stevens. Uh, he He counters all offense that Murdoch throws at him by going for the knee. Very good work on the knee. However... After a sudden roll-up from Trevor Murdoch, he gets the pin, one, two, three, and he has beaten the champ and becomes the new NWA national champion. A very fitting title for this man. I want to take a second to talk about Trevor Murdoch, and I posted about this on the Instagram page, at Babblemania, if you would like to follow, but Trevor Murdoch has been around for a hot minute in the world of professional wrestling, and I remember his run in the WWE it was very short him and Lance Cade never really reached like superstardom but they were tag-team champions for a bit and it for me looking back because I was young then and now I'm an adult and it's like a bit problematic and the reason I say that is because when Trevor Murdoch was in the WWE it was all about his appearance. It was all, oh, he's ugly, he's ugly this, he's ugly that. Oh, he's so ugly that this happens, and yada yada yada. And that's really all they talked about. And they tried to use that as like, oh, he may be ugly, but boy, howdy can he go in the ring? And like looking back on that, that's so like not creative. That's such a sh- a childish like shtick to attack to attach to somebody. And I don't know, it's just poor writing, in my opinion. And Shrever Murdoch's rise to fame outside of WWE has been great. Because, first of all, he's probably about twice the size as he was when he was in the WWE. So he's a bigger man now. However, since, you know, catching him in NWA power and all of the moments that he's had up until this moment where he wins the national championship from Aaron Stevens, not one person has talked about Trevor Murdoch's appearance or his body. They have truly focused on his in-ring abilities and his grit, and I think that that is super-duper important because that's how you properly build someone up, and it's not so shallow and hollow. Trevor Murdoch is fantastic. He's got this, like, classic vibe to him that you don't really get from a lot of people these days. And Trevor Murdoch has that. So for him to win this national championship is super-duper fitting. And I don't know. I'm just really happy for him. I think it's a good thing. So screw you, WWE, for making fun of his appearance all those years ago. Get over yourselves. (laughs) Uh, And That's it. That's the episode of NWA Shockwave. I love talking about Shockwave because I don't... (laughs) waste 45 minutes of my time just babbling. <laughs> but on the beard scale, uh, mm, I really like this episode. It introduced a bit more story and that need to like want to tune in to see what happens next. I really hope it molds into something like power eventually, uh, because it could and it probably will and I think it's going to be special. We just have to be patient. Uh, this episode of NWA Shockwave gets a beard. That's simply outlandish. Oh yes, oh yes. You know how it goes. When a bell rings, we move on to talk about other things. And now, we are going to talk about AEW Dynamite. This past week's episode of Dynamite was good, in my opinion. I'll get more into that later, but we'll get right into the show. The show kicks off with the six-man tag that we've all been waiting for. Hangman, Adam Page, pairing up with... John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order. (laughs) A steed and two steers was on the screen when this happened, and I literally almost spit out the chocolate milk that I was drinking. (laughs) Hangman Adam Page comes out, and then from out of nowhere, Silver and Reynolds come out wearing tiny cowboy hats with purple bandanas on their face, and then the card pops up on the screen, and it says, a steed and two steers, and I just lost my freaking guts. It was so hilarious. They are going up against the Hardy Party, which is Matt Hardy with, you know, private party. So, (laughs) Paige and the boys are working well together, almost better than Matt Hardy and his counterparts, and I'm noticing a bit of a heel-like attitude from Hardy, and I was left wondering, is this a thing that's happening? I've noticed for the past couple of weeks that Matt Hardy's promos and stuff have been a little different. And it was later on confirmed by JR, uh, who said that Matt Hardy has acquired this new elitist attitude. And that was furthered at the end of the match, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But this was a really, really great back-and-forth match between both teams. Having both of them really erase any predictability that you could have had at the beginning of this match. The Dark Order, Silver and Reynolds specifically, may have the best tag team sequences in AEW right now. They're effective, they're beautiful, they look good, they're delivered like perfectly, it's phenomenal. And Paige, having a bit of mix-up in that, Page's edition made it much more interesting. Uh, the mood changes, however, when Matt Hardy hits John Silver with a twist of fate off of the ring and into the floor, possibly legitimately injuring John Silver's knee because it was the first thing he clutched when he hit the ground. Super duper scary. Uh, this causes Private Party to hit Reynolds with gin and juice. However, before they can get the pin, Matt Hardy tags himself in and gets the pinfall for his team. So we have this new elitist Matt Hardy that wants to take credit for everything and act like he's hot shit. And I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, One of my more favorite roles that Matt Hardy ever played was super cocky, let me just deliver you random facts about myself, Matt Hardy. What was it, Matt Hardy version 2.0 or something like that? If I'm not mistaken, I love how I say it's my favorite and I can't remember what it's called, but we all remember he'd come out with the, Oh yeah, the music. (laughs) And then on the Titan Tron or on the screen, it would bring up like facts about him. And it was just, I kind of hope we're getting something like that. Uh, I mean, not an exact copy, of course, but something along those lines would be super duper fun. Um, I also hope we get more antics from page in the dark order. Um, It sucks that they lost this match, but I think that that's good for their characters. And I also hope that John Silver is okay, because he is, like, currently climbing the mountain to his pinnacle. And I do not want to see that tarnished by an accidental injury, because it would be super-duper unfortunate. Uh, With that being said, we move on to a small segment in the back. Essentially, Marvez is interviewing the Inner Circle, specifically Chris Jericho and MJF, who have apparently won some type of award for their song from a few weeks ago where they performed Like Me and My Shadow, if that was the name of it. I hope I'm getting that correct. But apparently they've won some type of award, and we see how absolutely masterful MJF is at backhanded insults. Uh, His and Jericho's performance was apparently so good that they won this award for it. But MJF did a hilarious, brilliant job of taking all the credit, making Jericho look bad, outshining everybody, and still like wearing a smile on his face and not getting attacked by all of them. It was absolutely brilliant. They will get sick of it eventually, though. I just I can't wait to see how that goes down, but I think it's going to be a while before we get there. Uh, The next matchup tonight is Cody Rhodes versus Angelico from TH2. Uh, Before this match happened, there was a video package where Cody and Brandy announced that they are bringing a child into this world, and that's beautiful. Congratulations to Cody and Brandy for that. That's a big announcement. The video package was really weird. (laughs) It was cute. Don't get me wrong. But it just didn't make sense you know like who's gonna slap something on? i guess i don't know i guess it was supposed to be santa claus but like why would santa claus give them a gift where it says we're bringing a child i don't know it was just really confusing it was adorable but like it was a really odd way to tell the world that you're having a kid just saying i mean big congratulations to him why am i critiquing this This is why the wrestling fandom is like the most toxic thing in the world, because we literally attack everything and just talk about it like we know what we're talking about. I digress. We move on to the match. This is the highest-profile match for Angelico to date, uh, who really, really got to showcase his submission abilities during this bout, and his submission abilities are super impressive, very interesting. Uh, However, they were not enough for Cody's offense, and he ends the match with a beautif- beautiful Cody cutter. Afterwards, Taz comes out and fa- facetiously congratulates Cody on his and Brandy's announcement. That they're bringing a child into this world. And they ask where their congrats were when they beat Cody and Turtle Boy, LOL, at Winter is Coming. And they announce that they are going to put Cody on paternity leave. As they are making their way to the ring, the lights go out, Sting's music hits, the snow starts falling, and Sting comes out and just stares at them. Powerhouse Hobbs walks towards Sting, and Sting breaks out the baseball bat, and everybody from Team Taz, you know, runs away to the back. Sting stands at the top of the ramp, looks at Cody, winks at him, but makes very strong eye contact with Darby Allen a couple of times, and then walks in the back. Um, this is always going to be enough, in my opinion. I do not care if Sting never sets foot in that ring and gives us a match. Sting's presence alone is just enough. And I know that there's some people out there who think that's problematic, but I literally do not care. Sting is one of those guys. Sting, like, was a huge part of WCW and TNT. And just the fact that he's back is enough. So we should be grateful that he even wants to walk out, point his baseball bat at somebody, make eye contact with a couple of dudes, and then leave. I don't expect Sting to get in the ring. I know that we're probably going to see a Sting match, maybe several, and I'll talk about that when the time comes, but for now, this is enough. I don't know what's going to happen with Cody. Cody's probably going to go away for a while, in my opinion. I actually think it would be very smart for him to. I think he needs to go away, you know, spend some time with Brandy and bring their kid into the world. I think that he should take advantage of this weird time in professional wrestling to do that, and I also think that it would be just good for his character. For Cody to go away for a good while and then have, like, a big triumphant return I think would be really good for him. Um, I like Cody Rhodes. I think Cody Rhodes is uh, one of, like, the best guys in the business, to be completely honest. I think he's just got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, I mean, he's a little bit cocky. He's a little bit of an elitist from time to time, but, like, why would you not be, you know? Your, your father is Dusty Rhodes, your brother is Goldust, he kind of has the right, he, not to mention he owns part of AEW. This dude has the right to be that way, and he always seems like a humble guy to me, so I don't know what the big hubbub is, but I do think that him going away for a long time and then triumphantly returning when things you know settle down for him at home, I think it would be good for his character. I think it would make him a little bit more appreciative a little bit more appreciated. Uh, And I also think it would give us time to witness the incredible story that is unfolding with Darby Allen and Sting, uh, which I think is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, You know, I, I, I talked about it last week a little bit, and I know that the whole Sting and Darby Allen comparison kind of just came out of nowhere on the internet, and I think a lot of us had that epiphany when we first saw Darby Allen and especially when rumors started going around and stuff like that, and, you know, I talked about it being very physical and aesthetic, and I don't know, it's just I didn't know who Darby Allin was when AEW first kicked off, and right off the bat, I fell in love with his character, and since then, he has, in my opinion, become, like, the most interesting guy in AEW, and I, I literally think the future of the company rests on his shoulders. Um... He's just got something. He's got this, like, it factor about him that nobody else really has, and I think that that's, I think it's important to acknowledge that, and I really, really, really cannot wait to see how him and Sting interact with one another. I think it's going to be brilliant. Uh, we move on to Eddie Kingston, who makes his way down to the ring. Uh, he starts talking smack, calling out all of his enemies, one of them being God, which I thought was really ballsy. <laughs> it kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And Eddie Kingston talks about how Pac is on the shelf and not coming back anytime soon. Uh, Which is weird, because it kind of like, for me, I believed it. Because Pac did come back, and then all of a sudden he was gone again. And I was wondering, where's Pac last week? I said it on the podcast. Eddie legitimately made me believe that maybe he did get hurt, and he's back on the shelf again. Well, he brings up Lance Archer... And as soon as he says Archer's name, Lance Archer's music hits, and he hauls ass to the ring and just starts wailing on Eddie Kingston. This brings out the Butcher and the Blade, who kind of gang up on Lance Archer, and then eventually, this brings out Ray Phoenix and Pinta. After an exchange, we have this heated face-off. They're standing in the ring, they're shouting at each other, and then, from somewhere... Pack runs into the ring, and just... I'm pretty sure he looked Eddie Kingston in his eyeballs and said, that's right, motherfucker, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I couldn't really tell, but I tried to read his lips, and I'm pretty sure that's what he said. And then they just start going at it. We get this big brawl. uh, We get a bit of a face-off between Pack and Archer, which I thought was really interesting. And we get Death Triangle looking dominant. So what I want is, A, please... Death Triangle versus Kingston and the Butcher and the Blade. I think that would be fantastic. And I want it to be big. I want it to be some crazy match, like a tables match or something. And I would really, really like to see Lance Archer versus Pac. I think that would be a really, really good match. Just so many opportunities from this little feud we got going on. And once again, it's just it's good to see Pac back. So, our next match of the evening is a big one. This is a big 12-man match tag team match pinning the Inner Circle without Wardlow against the combination of Best Friends, the Varsity Blondes, and Top Flight. Uh, this is the first time we've seen the new Inner Circle attempt to work as a full team. This match was the perfect amount of back and forth with some of the younger talents really getting a good chance of showcasing their abilities. Uh, the Varsity Blondes specifically. Brian Pillman Jr. got to start the match off with Chris Jericho, which I thought was absolutely lovely because we all know that Jericho was, you know, pretty close to Brian Pillman, so I thought that was really nice. Uh, We also got to see Garrison do his thing for a little bit. One of the guys from Top Flight really got to have a really nice face-off with Sammy Guevara. Just really good stuff in this match. A good moment of, like, highlighting future talent. Then, we get this moment where Best Friends and Proud and Powerful face off, starting this huge brawl amongst everybody. The faces end up cleaning house, and we get the big six-way hug, because you got to give the people what they want, and things pick back up. From this point on, it's more back and forth, and things come to a head when Jericho uses the Inner Circle baseball bat on Garrison. Hager picks up the slack, puts him down with a really poor F10, to be completely honest, and then MJF casually tags himself in, smiles, lays down, and gets the pinfall victory for the team. This was very, very fun. This was a really fun, huge tag team match, but I have one issue with it. The tension from earlier in the night between Chris Jericho and MJF showed up nowhere in this match, and I was really hoping that it would be physically highlighted somehow. And that's what I hope they don't drop the ball with when it comes to this MJF Inner Circle storyline. Because if you're going to give us tension amongst them, it needs to be everywhere. It needs to be in the back when they're being interviewed. It needs to be on commentary if they're doing that. It needs to be in the ring during matches. If you want us to believe that at some point they are going to crumble... You have to start chipping them away piece by piece. Just saying. We move on to Britt Baker attacking Thunder Rosa in the back. Thunder Rosa's being interviewed, and, you know, she's, she's talking smack about Britt Baker. Who deserves it? Let's be honest. And then Rebel comes up, Reba, sorry, <laughs> and kind of says, hey, don't talk about her like that. And then she's attacked from behind by the dentist. And Britt Baker puts her in her submission thingamajig that I always forget the name of for some reason and then just pours water all over her face and, like, rubs her paint and just says that she doesn't belong. It was disrespectful as heck, dude. It was so, so heelish. This feud should be very, very good if it keeps going this way because they're genuinely making me go, ugh. I really want to see Thunder Rosa punch her in the face. And that's a good thing. That's the way that we need to feel. So just the, the disrespect was cranked all the way to the max in this little tiny segment. Um, but I digress and we move on to some more tag team action. This time, standard 2 on 2 tag team action. It's SCU versus The Acclaimed, who I am really, really liking so far. I like their aesthetic. I like how crispy they are in the ring, and I love the whole rapping thing. And, I like, I'm a rapper, okay? I make music. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but, like, I just, I like stuff like that. I think it's, it's almost cringy, but it's always over if it's actually good. Like, some of those bars that he says are really, really clever. And I really love their entrance theme. Their entrance theme is banging. And it's really easy to rap to. I just really like the Acclaimed. I think they're going to go places. Uh, This match was very, very good. There's a very natural chemistry amongst these four. Um, Kazarian also, his bars were not that bad either. (laughs) Uh, After the boombox gets bashed into the face of Christopher Daniels, the Acclaimed walk away the victors. And then they're not finished. They grab a microphone, and they call out the Young Bucks, and they challenge them for their titles. So with some really quick moves over here for the acclaimed. I think they're currently like 8-0 and oh in AEW. This was their AEW debut. They've been killing things over on AEW Dark. Um, I think them versus the Young Bucks is going to be good. I actually think it's going to be the first match that we'll see from the Young Bucks since becoming the AEW Tag Team Champions where, like, they potentially might lose. And I know that they're not going to. I know that they're going to retain, obviously. It's the Young Bucks. We're still very, very short in their reign. But I think this match is going to be a big proving ground for them. And hey, if your first loss in AEW is to the Young Bucks, that's pretty good. So... I don't know, I, just see, I see big things for the acclaimed, honestly and truthfully, and I think this is probably going to be the start of that. I think what's going to happen is they're going to have this match and they're going to push the Young Bucks further than anybody ever has and they're going to lose and there's not going to be a sign of respect. There's probably going to be some heelish stuff where you know they say something mean or slap somebody in the face and then like a year and a half or two years from now it'll come back up or something like that. That's just my prediction, I guess. Uh, we move on to another tag team matchup. This was a very tag team heavy episode of AEW, by the way. Uh, this time it is Lise and Diamante versus Big Swole and Serena Deeb. This match was very clean for these four women. Swole and Deeb came out on top with some really great submission wrestling. The big moment is afterwards, though, when Nyla Rose comes out and attacks the victors, just to have red velvet come out and even the odds with a steel chair. Now, the reason this is big is because it makes me wonder, when is Jade Cargill gonna back up that mouth and show us what she is capable of? Because ever since she appeared and talked about Shaquille O'Neal and got absolutely thrashed by Brandy, (laughs) I have been curious as to what this woman can do in the ring. Because she is a presence. Nyla Rose is kind of like Kong. You know, she's one of those, like, big superstars that exceeds dominance. But Jade is a very large woman as well in her own right. She's very tall. She's very ripped and very intimidating. And I am super interested to see what she is capable of in the ring. We, we've seen what she's capable of when it comes to talking, which was not that impressive, to be honest. We've seen what she's capable of in the back when it comes to dirty heel stuff, which is good, but I really want to see if she can be good in the ring. And I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, and I think that this is probably the beginning of that. I think the next time we see these girls attacking each other, I think Jade is going to end up being like the deal breaker who stands tall at the end of all of it. But we will see what happens. We move on to our main event of the evening. Kenny Omega versus Joey Janella in a no disqualifications match. Before Kenny gets to the ring, Janela just nails him in the face with a trash can. <laughs> super hilarious. Super out of nowhere. I absolutely loved it. A bunch of memes came to mind, to be completely honest. And for a very short moment... His surprise trash can toss gives him the upper hand. However, Kenny quickly recovers and starts running things. And at this point, the wildest thing that I've seen on this episode of Dynamite, one of the wildest things I've seen in quite some time from Dynamite, has happened. Don Callis tries to go to the announce table and sit down. He tries to get Shivani to stand up and move so he can sit down and call this Kenny Omega match like he's supposed to do. And then we get like the most gangster thing ever from Tony Schiavone. He says, kiss my ass and go away. It was absolutely phenomenal. So, Don Callis says, F it. If you're not going to let me sit, then I'm just going to grab a microphone and I'm going to do it this way. And Don Callis grabs a damn microphone and starts calling Kenny Omega's match from ringside. Just praising Kenny Omega. It was so annoying, but also absolutely awesome. (laughs) And then... He lets Kenny hold a microphone, and Kenny gives us like a play-by-play for a little while of what he's doing to Joey Janela. It was just so dastardly. Now, it looks as if Omega is going to put Joey Janela away. And then we get a small table-fueled flurry from the bad boy. However, after a vicious set of V-triggers... He eats a one-winged angel, and the AEW champ reigns victorious. Him and Don Callis are celebrating in the ring, but their celebration is cut short when Death Triangle comes out, and Pac specifically has a message for Kenny Omega. He says that Ray Phoenix deserves a title shot because of what happened in the tournament long ago to determine number one contender for Moxley's title. Remember that Ray Phoenix was booted out of that tournament because of an injury, meaning he never lost. Well, Don Callis says that if you're not the AEW champion, you don't get to make decisions like that, and that's when Pac says, oh, I talked to Tony Khan, I spoke to Papa Bear TK, and guess what? December the 30th, on like one of the holiday editions of uh, AEW Dynamite, we're getting Phoenix versus Omega for the AEW title, big wowzers!" I think that's going to be absolutely phenomenal. This was a really fun way to end the show. It, you know, gets you excited for the next few weeks because apparently the next 3 weeks of AEW Dynamite are all holiday related. It's like a big holiday bash and I love that. I think that's awesome. I'm excited to see what they give to us. AEW does this really good job of giving us really good professional wrestling and like ridiculous segments. So, I'm just stoked to see what they give to us throughout the holidays. Uh, This episode was another solid installment of AEW Dynamite. Uh, Big announcements, even bigger feels. On the beard scale, this episode of Dynamite gets a beard that's thankful, (laughs) thankful for Tony Schiavone (laughs) telling Don Callis to kiss his ass. Oh yes, now we get into the meat of this installment of Mania When the bell Makes a commotion, we move on to another promotion. We are now going to move on to WWE, and we're kicking things off with The Raw Before TLC. The show kicks off with an episode of The Dirt Sheet. The Miz is sitting in the ring and is essentially about to read us a bedtime story. It's called The Nightmare Before TLC. He starts reading, and it's a damn poem, but it's a good poem, I'm not going to lie. AJ Styles appears in the ring by spotlight, Miz says his name, a spotlight appears, there's AJ, and right when you think that Drew is going to appear in another spotlight on the other side of the ring, it's actually Morrison giving us his best Braveheart impression. After the story unfolds, AJ ends up atop the ladder celebrating, but Miz finishes the story with him winning the title by cashing in. This causes an argument amongst them, and out comes Seamus, who is not entertained and challenges them to a fight. At this point, it's just AJ, and he lures Seamus into the corner where a Christmas tree is placed, telling him that they do not have to do this, and then he surprisingly throws the Christmas tree at Seamus, gets out of the ring ecstatically, And Sheamus responds by throwing a Christmas gift at him. And I believe we have our first match of the night. Sheamus versus AJ Styles. Sheamus runs this match for a good while, obviously carrying that frustration from earlier with him. And every time AJ gets the upper hand, Sheamus has an answer. It reaches a peak when Sheamus goes to powerbomb AJ off of the side of the ring onto the floor just to have Omus take him off of Seamus' shoulders and protect him. After this, AJ has the upper hand, working heavily on Seamus' legs, specifically his left one. Sheamus is still countering a lot of AJ's offense, but his leg is definitely suffering. It all finally comes to an end when AJ kicks Sheamus off the corner and folds him up deeply for the pinfall victory. After the match, AJ's attitude gets him snatched up by Sheamus, but Omus interferes, and Sheamus ends up getting tied up in the bottom two ropes and hanging upside down, facing the Tron. This is when AJ beats him with kicks and chair shots. It was very, very brutal. This whole ordeal was great for me. Um, I loved the entire opening segment of this episode of Monday Night Raw. I actually really enjoyed Miz's story time before this. It was like the right kind of ridiculous. Plus, it had a nice set. It reminded me of like a play, and I really love plays, so that's probably why I was so keen on it. Uh, the segue into the match was good. The match itself was fantastic. Uh, Sheamus really looked like a fighter and a good pal to Drew McIntyre, while AJ looked like a heelish force with a difference maker in Omis, uh, This whole thing did a really good way uh, of getting us prepared for TLC this evening. I think this match with AJ Styles that Sheamus had was probably match of the week, in my opinion. It was just really clean, very solid, told a great story. Uh, it had everything going for it. This is the second time in a month that Sheamus has given us really, really good wrestling matches on TV. This is the third time in a couple of months that he's done so. Uh, I don't know. Sheamus getting involved in this whole Drew McIntyre story has been, re- like, really, really good for him. And I think that that's good. Sheamus bored me for a long time, and I've always looked at him as one of those superstars that, like, has it, but I'm just not interested. But for the past month or so, it's it's been it's been really nice. This is a Seamus that I can get behind and I don't know. I'm just this makes me really pumped for TLC. There's a lot of factors to go into here. We'll talk about that later obviously as we talk about tables, ladders and chairs, but uh this was this was really really nice. After this we move on to some backstage shenanigans. Uh, there was an edible attack, I'll say, on a hopeless crew member backstage from the Hurt business. And then we get this alliance between The New Day, Jeff Hardy, and Riddle. And then they all make their way to the ring after a comical tidbit. And our next match is set up. The New Day with Jeff Hardy versus Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin, and Bobby Lashley of The Hurt Business. Uh, This match is ran by Lashley. Until Cedric tags himself in, causing a bit of irritation for Lashley. Uh, Hardy gets the upper hand for his team and we get a trombone-fueled celebration from the four of them as the mood in this match changes. The celebration is cut short as the Hurt Business takes over and they start using their power and their bullying to get the upper hand. Jeff comes in with the hot tag and does a wonderful job of putting things back in gear for his team but it's not enough. After an interference from Cedric as Hardy is going for the Whisper in the Wind, Lashley drags Hardy's Hurt body off the top turnbuckle and applies the Hurt lock and the match is over. Uh, This showed how dominant the Hurt Business is at the moment, and it also showed us how Cedric is potentially outgrowing his Hurt Business brethren. Uh, The bullying segment beforehand was just wrong, but in the best way possible, Uh, but it is now justified by this victory. The alliance between the New Day, Riddle, and Hardy as well was very fun, which made their loss you know, that much more painful. I do wonder what's in store for New Day this evening at TLC, knowing how confident the Hurt Business must be right now. But I'm also very curious as to how this Cedric Alexander situation is going to play out, because it does seem that he is becoming bigger than his other three people and we'll talk about that here in a little bit I have some more things I want to say about the Hurt business but I just think that's a really interesting tidbit to take into consideration they're doing it for a reason they're doing it so we pay attention you know Cedric tagging himself in Cedric celebrating before they get in the ring sometimes even celebrating by himself like those are really important things to acknowledge right now and I think at some point that stuff is going to come to to a head uh, next up We have Lana versus Nia Jax in singles competition. It's just them two, no Asuka, no Shayna Baszler, and before the match starts, Asuka kind of uh, of hypes Lana up, telling her that she's the bravest person she knows. After the match starts, it quickly comes to an end, but in surprising fashion. Lana actually beats Nia Jax clean. She ends up kicking Nia Jax off of the middle rope and Nia Jax falls to her back where Lana kind of hits this, like, knee-to-the-chest type situation and then just rolls her up deeply and gets the victory. And it's a straight-up feel-good moment that I've been wanting to see for a minute now. That, too, however, is short-lived when Baszler comes out and attacks Asuka. She attacks Oscar in the back, and this causes... uh. Jax to start attacking Lana in the ring, and then eventually she gets double teamed by the champs, who essentially try to break her leg. Asuka eventually recovers and comes down to the ring to help her friend, and this was just really good for me. It was good seeing Lana finally have something good happen to her, especially by herself, with no coattails being ridden. But the beating that she suffered afterwards is a reminder as to how underneath the skin she is of the current women tag team champions in the WWE. Another segment is up and Elias is in the ring alongside Jackson Riker. Big question mark. Elias goes on to talk about getting electrocuted last week and talks about how it changed him for the better while Jackson declares that Elias's music has changed him for the better and has made him a follower. Elias has his first groupie, it seems, and I am surprised that it is Jackson Riker, given his heat from a while back. Uh I don't know if you are aware, but Jackson Riker made it very obvious and very upfront that he was a big fan of Donald Trump. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that because that's your decision. You know, if it especially in the limelight. If if you choose to be a Trump supporter, that's fine. I don't fuck with Donald Trump. I hate the man. I'll be straight up honest right here, right fucking now. But that's a shitty opinion, in my opinion, (laughs) to have. But the heat that was on Jackson Riker was because of his remarks about the Black Lives Matter movement. And this heat was so bad that Apparently, they just wanted to pull him from television completely, and I think that that's deserving. I get it, okay? If, if you support Donald Trump, I, I think you're kind of stupid, to be completely honest, and I know that that's going to get a lot of flack, and I know that people are going to be like, why would you say that on your podcast? It's my fucking podcast. You don't have to listen if you don't want to. But it's not that big of a deal, I mean, there is so many like people out there right now that are supporting that man, and like I, I get it. I think you are kind of dumb, <laughs> but I don't think it's something that should like pull you from television or ruin your stay in the company. I just think somebody needs to sit down with you and be like, "Hey, don't say stuff like that." You know, just keep quiet about it. If you support him, that's cool. Just you know, don't go public with it, especially as a member of the WWE. And especially with how insane the world is right now. Uh, But the Black Lives Matter thing is super problematic. And I do not fuck with anyone who speaks out against that. Because in my opinion it is racist and it is wrong. And I think Jackson Ryker really shot himself in the foot when he said those things. And I think that he deserved to be punished in some way. Or at least talked to by someone in the WWE about why he shouldn't have said that, and why maybe he should change his ways and come around on the movement. But this is turning into an entire different type of podcast. I'm not going to go into the 24-7 interruption because I honestly dislike everything around the 24-7 championship. It honestly at this point gets on my nerves and I just don't want to see it anymore. I will say that this alliance between Elias and Riker could be fun if it is done correctly, And I really hope that Riker ends up finding his place in the company and becoming a better person and maybe a little bit more open-minded. I'm not surprised that he looks at the world the way that he does, given his character and given who he is as an individual. I'm not surprised. But I hope that he himself can go inward and find some change that maybe allows him to get good with the company again, because... All of that bullshit aside, and, you know, just wrestling being the main focus, Jackson Riker has potential. He's got the look, he's got the in-ring ability, he's not too bad on a microphone. We all know that Jackson Riker is capable. He just needs to get there. And he also needs to, you know, not be an idiot from time to time. I also wonder, because I've heard that Jackson Riker is apparently on the chopping block in the company, which which is another reason why this was so surprising to me. When that spotlight came on and it was Jackson Riker, I was blown away because what I've heard on the internet is that Jackson Riker is basically about to be gone. So there is a part of me that feels maybe this is a way of them like burying him before they get rid of him. And WWE does stuff like that. Like it's it's not a rumor, it's not gossip. WWE, if you know, you do something to upset them, they are known to make you look like a fool before they let you go or let your contract ride out, and maybe this is a way of them doing that. I have no idea, but we will just have to see how this goes. Uh, On to another match, and this time it is The Miz and Morrison versus Keith Lee in a handicap match, which came to be from a coin toss directed by Lee in the back. This match was dominated by Keith Lee for the most part, but in the end it just wasn't enough for the quick-thinking duo that is The Miz And Morrison I don't really have much to say about this segment but I will take the time to talk about this news that is revolving Keith Lee apparently Vince McMahon thinks that Keith Lee needs to go back down to NXT and they are sending him back down to NXT to apparently get better now I want to talk about this because it's something that I'm right smack dab in the middle of I think it's problematic But I also think it's in the best interest. I don't think that Vince is saying Keith Lee is not good. I think that what Vince is saying is that Keith Lee could be better. And you want people to be better. That's the point. That's why I didn't cancel Jackson Riker when I heard that stuff. And that's why I didn't cancel him a second ago when I was talking about him. Because you you should want people to get better. Regardless of what kind of better that is, so for Vince to say, "Hey, let's send you back down to n x t for a bit and and have you get better," is an okay thing in my opinion. However, the reason I think it's problematic is for two reasons: reason number one, if you have the wherewithal to realize that he needs to be better, and in my opinion, I don't think Keith Lee needs to be better why even bring him up in the first place? I think what had happened was Vince saw Keith, saw this big dude who could do things that not most big dudes can do, and he was like, okay, well, let's just put him on TV right away. Let's do it. Let's make this happen. Let's put him on Raw, yada, yada, yada. And he did that, and then he took it back for some reason. And I don't know why, and none of us will ever know why, but for Vince to say that he's not there at the moment is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is bad in the term that maybe Vince should have realized that beforehand. The second reason I have a problem with it is because there are people who are on Raw every single week that I think need some fucking improvement and could benefit from stepping down for a bit, going back to NXT, and maybe refining themselves. Example, Bocce Bocchi Nia Jax. This is the biggest comparison that I've been seeing online, and it makes perfect sense. Nia Jax has hurt a lot of people. She has accidentally done some really painful things to people. She has botched. She, she needs a lot of work, in my opinion. And it's just really weird to me that she's on Raw every week, goes unscathed, goes untouched, doesn't get told that she needs to go back down to NXT, but Keith Lee does. That's my other big problem with it. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me, but we'll just have to see where it goes. I think at some point Keith Lee is going to do huge things in the company, but I think this loss to The Miz and Morrison was a way for them to be like, yeah, Keith Lee's going to go away for a bit, and he's going to recoup. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, It's time for my favorite segment, of all time, the Firefly Funhouse. But this time, we're getting like a live rendition of Firefly Funhouse. A field trip to the Thunderdome, sounds like my type of shindig. Bray comes down to the ring, sporting a fancy fiend Christmas sweater, and we are introduced to the puppets at ringside, specifically Huskus the pig boy, Mercy the buzzard, and Ramblin' Rabbit, who pop up to the right of the announce table And, essentially, Bray just kind of apologizes to Randy Orton for what happened to him last week. And he states that at TLC, it's going to be nothing but sadness for him. He then gives us some laughs to make up for future pain with some hilarious dad jokes about snakes. Just ridiculously funny. Bray did such a good job of laughing like a crazy person. The puppets were all laughing. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then Randy pops up on the Tron. Randy invites Bray in the back for a game of hide-and-seek, and Bray just absolutely can't turn it down. And this is where things pick up for this feud. Now, things have been high for this feud, but as far as this episode goes... The next little bit is super-duper important. The one thing that I want to say right now is I already miss Alexa Bliss. Apparently Alexa Bliss has missed the last two episodes of Raw because she's been filming something. I don't know what it is. I think it's a TV show. I'm not sure, but I really miss her. It's a testament to how good it was. The fact that she's been gone for two weeks and it just doesn't feel right. And I really, really hope that she makes an appearance at TLC I I hope she returns soon and is back in the scene, like, right where she left off. I really don't want them to write it off. One thing that I want to talk about is, apparently, this episode of Monday Night Raw did very, very poor in the ratings. Apparently, it only pulled, like, 1.5 million viewers. Now, in my opinion, that's not bad. That's not something to complain about. But, you know how WWE is. They freak out over everything. And, I mean, first of all, it's the holidays. There's probably not a lot of people watching TV right now anyways. They're probably watching Christmas shit if they are. Like, that's fine. Like, they need to stop freaking out about it. But apparently, USA was super aggravated about this. And they have stated that they want more adult content on Monday Night Raw. And they don't mean, like, sexual-driven stuff. So, you know, don't think that we're going to go back to Braun panties matches, okay? We don't need that shit anymore. Please. I don't want it. But they do mean, like, scary stuff. Like, horror stuff. Like, gory stuff. And all I can think about is, like, oh, my goodness. This is the Fiend's moment. <laughs> if we can legitimately get some gruesome, terrible shit from the Fiend, because Bray Wyatt can think about it. You know that he can. This dude's a creative genius, And, like, he is so dedicated to this character. Like, I know that he can give us some really scary, dastardly shit if it comes to that. So I'm just hoping that it does happen. Things are back on track with another match. This time it is Ricochet versus Mace with Mustafa Ali on commentary and the rest of Retribution by his side. Once again, I am finding it hard to care about Retribution anymore. But I cannot look past how much potential lies within mace super good performance very impressive big dude big potential in my opinion his former position as uh commentator is actually shouted out by Ali. he says that samoa joe is in his chair which i think is really interesting um ricochet withstands a couple of interferences here this match was really short Slapjack interferes, T-Bar interferes, and Ricochet fights that, but eventually eats Mace's finisher and is pinned. And that is when Ali gets in the ring, along with all of Retribution, and they kind of flock to Ricochet and hold him down. And Ali tells him that this is not finished until he joins them. Now, I still have my fingers crossed for this storyline. I always will until it comes to an end. And I'm trying my best to ignore the past and stay a bit hopeful, but it's really hard to. I don't see the positives in Ricochet falling and joining Retribution. Unless he does it to cause Retribution to implode and not be a thing anymore. This whole Retribution thing has been so weird for such a long time. And I just don't know if... Ricochet putting on a ridiculous mask and going by a name that's not Ricochet is a good decision. I think it would be bad for everybody. Unless Ricochet is faking it and just kind of uses that as a tool to break down retribution and maybe turn them all back to their former selves and leave Ali in the dust. But this really isn't doing anything for anybody. And it sucks because like Ali is fantastic. And I really thought that with the hacker storyline that we would get like a, like a breath of fresh air breathed into his body and like a new Ali would be born. And then the retribution thing happened and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then it started happening backwards and I was like, they need to stop. And then they started dropping the ball. You know, like TLC is this evening and I can guarantee you That once again, Retribution is not going to do anything at the event. Even when Retribution was hot and the talk of the town, they didn't do anything at the wrestling pay-per-view that happened around that time. And I think it's all just pointless at this point. And I just, I'm trying to stay hopeful and not pay attention to the past. But that's just the way it is, you know. I'm trying to live in the now and see the retribution for what they possibly could be, but I just, I can't because it's been so weird and bad at most times. But I digress, and we move on to another match. This time it is Dana Brooke versus Shayna Baszler. Another short match that ends in a disqualification after a blatant interference from Nia Jax. After they start ganging up on Dana, Mandy Rose returns with a kendo stick and takes up for her partner. Uh, The champs are run off by numbers as Asuka comes out to help as well. And I'm just stoked that Mandy Rose is back. Um, It's really good to have her back so soon. But what's to come of Lana? Lana is apparently down for the count after her, like, leg injury suffered at the hands of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. And I just wonder what's going to happen. It's rumored that she's going to be gone for a while, and I don't know why. Especially after all this build-up that's been going on, I'm not sure. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we talk about our TLC predictions here in a bit. But I don't know. Mandy Rose is back. All is well. Hopefully, her and Donna can. Donna, <laughs> hopefully, her and Dana can get back on track and maybe do some stuff in the tag team division, and then we can see Mandy Rose propelled to a great singles career, uh, which I think is going to happen. But just good to have her back for now. Okay. On to the moment of the week. After some hilarious encounters with the puppets in the back from Riddle and Truth, Bray finally finds where he thinks Randy Orton may be hiding. It's a dark room with a spotlight in the middle of it beaming onto a rocking chair that is rocking back and forth by itself. It catches Bray's eye. It catches Bray's eye. And, in my opinion, obviously a trap. Bray pauses and almost goes emotionless as he sits in this chair. And he sits there for a bit. And then, from behind him, really good lighting in this shot, by the way, Randy comes out of nowhere and attacks him. Randy brutalizes Bray, throws him up against a uh, garage door, and then throws him into a wooden box. He closes this wooden box, and he douses it in kerosene, and he sets it on fire, and it's absolutely insane. There's a human being in this box, and it's Bray Wyatt. Lovable host of iconic children's show Firefly Funhouse, Bray Wyatt, has been burned alive in this wooden box by a vengeful, crazy Randy Orton. And he's standing there, and he's smiling at what he has done. And then, out of nowhere, the door flies open, and the fiend pops out of the box. He has arrived. He hits Randy with the mandible claw, shoves him onto the ground, and just puts him out as he stares into the camera. No pun intended. Just kidding. This was absolute fire. This was the best setup for a match at TLC, in my opinion. Besides maybe the Roman and Kevin angle, obviously. But holy moly, this was good. Now apparently, apparently, this match between Randy and Bray is going to be a Firefly Inferno match. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. I hope, I hope it's not bad. I hope it's good and cinematic and ridiculous. But man... And I'm going to talk about this later in in my TLC predictions. I get so nervous when we go into a pay-per-view event with one person looking good. Because usually that means that at the event, the other person is going to come out on top. For the past two weeks in a row, The Fiend has put Randy Orton down. And that worries me. That Randy Orton is going to somehow win. And I do not want that to happen. I'm saving this for my TLC predictions. I need to calm down. Take a breather. And just focus on this moment. This was an incredible segment. It was insane. Maybe it will be nothing but sadness and pain for Randy. Who. Seems to be. Thinking incorrectly. And is also going up against somebody. Who is undefeated at TLC. Yeah, we'll talk about that later too. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about Riddle versus MVP because it happened so fast, but I will say this. Is there a reason that Bobby Lashley and Cedric Alexander are looking great these days, while MVP and Shelton are kind of not? After what MVP said about Riddle earlier in the night, he looks like a big old chump losing to him so quickly. I think this is very interesting. I know that they are very high on Lashley at the moment, and maybe they are on Cedric too, but the Hurt business is kind of suffering the same thing that the inner circle over in AEW is suffering. In one segment, they look dominant, and they look rude, and they look awful, and they look like they can just do absolutely everything, but in the next, something isn't clicking. You know, so in AEW with the inner circle, it's like there's supposed to be inner turbulence, but if there's if there's inner turbulence, why did you do so well in your match? And it's the same thing here. If if the hurt business as a whole is this dominant force, why did MVP get beaten by Matt Riddle so quickly? You know what I'm saying? I just don't really understand it. I kinda would be interested in seeing like some inner turbulence between the hurt business. That's what I've been waiting for this entire time. I think it would be good for their character development, especially if they overcame it and became a stronger force to be reckoned with. But maybe that's why they did this. Maybe that's why Riddle beat MVP. Maybe that's what they're going to introduce in the next few weeks. I'm not sure. We'll just have to see where it goes. Uh, On to our main segment of the evening, which is the ceremonial title ascension of the WWE Championship above the ring to prepare us for the match... That will determine the new WWE champion. It's Drew McIntyre defending against AJ Styles. We haven't seen Drew all night. Uh, Makes his way down to the ring. As confident as he always does. And AJ kicks things off. By talking about Drew. And how it's taken him 19 years. To make it. He drags his career through the dirt. Drags his title reign through the dirt, and then Drew responds with a wonderful promo about climbing the mountain being less important than standing at the top of the mountain, which is really, really poetic and lovely, and he talks about being a freaking diamond, which I absolutely loved. It was very, very good. As the title ascends above the ring, AJ closes the conversation by asking Drew, what if it's not just him that he's facing at TLC? And that's when Miz and Morrison slide into the ring, attack Drew McIntyre with a ladder, and essentially just start beating him down. Drew responds by Claymore kicking the both of them. However, right before he can Claymore kick AJ Styles, Omis throws a set of the ring stairs into the middle of the ring and distracts Drew. This causes AJ to take advantage, who... Beats him down with every weapon that's in the ring. Elbow drops him through a table and stands tall. This is a great ending for this episode of Raw to hype us up for TLC. Where Drew has many, many things to watch out for. Drew has to worry about everything. He has to worry about the man he's facing in AJ Styles. He has to worry about the difference maker, that is Omis who is definitely going to be standing on the outside of the ring watching. He has to worry about Miz cashing in, Morrison helping him. He has to worry about AJ doing something to make him beatable so Miz can win. It's just all the odds are stacked against Drew McIntyre, and that's good because that's what makes Drew McIntyre's potential win feel that much more important. If Drew McIntyre can overcome this, he can overcome anything. And I think that's a, that's what they want to convey to us. That Drew McIntyre is a fighter, and regardless of what is thrown at him, he comes out on the top of the mountain. Will he come out on top? We'll talk about it later when we talk about my TLC predictions. Right now, beard scale. This was a solid episode of Raw. There was a few mass segments, to be completely honest, and things kind of seemed out of place. I thought, honestly, that... The Fiend and Randy Orton segment should have been a little bit later on in the show. Maybe it should have happened before AJ and Drew segment, but it was still a pretty solid episode. Uh, this gets a beard that loves field trips and puns. Oh yes, yes, yes. With the end of Monday Night Raw, we go directly into SmackDown Live. This is the official go-home show of WWE programming as we head into TLC 20. 20. This is the last babble cast about wrestling before we get into prediction zone, whatever I want to call it. Kevin Owens kicks off the show by coming down to the ring and calling out Roman. He talks about telling his family not to watch TLC because of not what's going to happen to him, but because of what he's going to do to Roman Reigns. He calls Roman a hypocrite, tells him that he's a coward, saying anything and everything to get Roman to come out and fight him. Despite the trash talk, Roman does not show up, and instead, we get Haman on the Tron. Paul Heyman goes on to say that he was wrong for calling Kevin Owens a masochist, but is right in calling him a martyr. He tells him that at TLC, he is going to be eradicated, but is interrupted by a Kevin Owens who is tired of all of it, who heads to the back to find Roman. When he finally makes it to Roman's locker room, he is told by Adam Pearce to not do this. He shakes it off and he bangs on Roman's locker room door just to hear Roman's music hits. And coincidentally, there's a perfectly placed television with a camera that is on the Tron. And even as Adam Pearce and KO were walking into the scene, it had Roman's graphics all over it, so I'm surprised that Kevin didn't see it, but I'll ignore that for now. Kevin bangs on this door, it's locked, Roman's music hits, Kevin turns his attention to the television that is standing there, and the big dog, (laughs) I hate saying that, makes his way to the ring. He stands in the ring and responds to Kevin Owens by saying that he doesn't want to hurt him, but he feels like he has to because of all the discrediting that Kevin has done against Roman Reigns. He tells him that he's going to give him one more chance to acknowledge him as the tribal chief and apologize. And if he does not, he is going to end him. Owens comes down to the ring, obviously ready to fight, but is ambushed by Jay Uso. And eventually Roman Reigns jumps in and helps as well. Despite the officials coming out to stop the beating, Roman lays KO out and him and his followers stroll to the back. As soon as this was over, I said to myself, this is not over. Before the night comes to an end, we are going to see something else involving this. SmackDown has been doing the thesis repetition thing very well for the past few weeks. Basically, they open the show with something, and then they close the show with the exact same thing. We'll talk about it later. Let's move on to our first match of the evening. The first match of the evening is some tag team action. The Street Profits defending their SmackDown tag team titles against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Right off the bat, you can tell that Roode and Ziggler want this bad due to them cranking up the shenanigans to 11 and showing how far they're willing to go to knock the Profits off. From the jump and for a good while, the duo runs things, just dominating and neutralizing Montez Ford. Eventually, He gets the hot tag on Dawkins, and the powerhouse of the duo cleans house. After some great exchanges and a couple of false finishes, Montez Ford hits the cash out, but can't capitalize because of his hurt ribs, and just can't get that solid pinfall. That is, until he rolls Robert Root up and pulls up the tights. And Robert Root had just tried to do the same thing to him. So when he rolls Root up and pulls those tights up and gets the victory, it feels even better. This was a fun match that was pedaled to the floor the entire time. I think the Street Profits have done a really good job of solidifying themselves as a team that just manages to come out on top somehow. And surprisingly enough, this was really good stuff from Ziggler and Rude. I normally don't like it when two superstars are just thrown together, but sometimes it works. Uh, The most recent best thing... Uh, to give an ex- as an example of that is probably the bar. Cesaro and Sheamus being thrown together like shouldn't have worked, but it did, and it was absolutely incredible. I don't think Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler are going to like hit that pinnacle that they did, but I do think that they, they're doing a pretty good job, and I'll acknowledge that. Uh, we had some backstage antics that took place, but I'm going to get into them here in a little bit because they kind of tie in to some later stuff. Uh, our next matchup for the evening is the Riot Squad versus Billy Kay and Tamina Snuka. I still hate, H-A-T-E hate, that they're doing this to the former iconic, but she's getting screen time, and that counts for something. She's quite lovely with this new resume character. I actually think it's awesome. I think it's hilarious and really, really funny, and she's doing a very good job at that role. I just hope it propels her into a solid singles career, uh, which may be her fate after this match as Liv and Ruby pick up the win. And you can say that it's, you know, her fault because Tamina was doing a really good job of running things and then she tagged herself in and that's when they lost. So if, if these shenanigans can somehow lead to her being a singles competitor and just being like, you know what, I'm better off by myself, that will be great. And also... I still don't like the fact that they split them up just to try to put them with other people. I, I Like, that just seems completely redundant to me. Like, man, I just made these scrambled eggs, but I'm going to toss them because I'm in the mood for scrambled eggs. That's literally how they sound. <laughs> uh, we move on to some more segment goodies, and it is Carmella's Champagne Taste Test. To choose which bubbly she will be celebrating with after she beats Sasha at TLC. She comes down to the ring, talks about our used futons, how dare you, and talks about how Sasha can never get the job done when she needs to. She brings up Sasha's historical past and she gets more and more cocky as the seconds pass, eventually getting to a point where Sasha's own downfalls have even brought her down. So she decides to lighten up the mood by going ahead and testing some champagne. Sasha's music hits, and her sommelier runs to the ramp to stop her from getting in the ring. But Sasha comes in from the backside, grabs a couple of glasses of champagne, drinks one of them, says, Ugh, that's kind of gross, and then throws the other one in Carmela's face. She attacks Carmela, gets her in the bank statement, and that's when the sommelier realizes what has happened, gets in the ring, and pulls Sasha off of her. Sasha, once again, slaps the taste out of his mouth. And then, once again, is battered in the lower back by a bottle of the bubbly. Carmella is absolutely killing this role and legitimately is making me want her to, like, win the title. She has been at the top of her game since coming back. And it's really weird because when I first saw these little vignettes for this mystery woman, I was like, okay, well, this is weird. This seems like it's not going to go anywhere. And then it was unveiled that it was Carmella, and I was like, oh no. She's got a lot of potential. I hope this isn't, like, bad for her. But it's been absolutely glorious ever since. It's it's perfect. We'll talk about this a little bit later with the TLC predictions, but Carmella is, like, the strong one going into this event, 100%. Uh, we have another matchup right now, however, and it is Otis versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, this match was very quick, but it showed some interesting insight into this new alliance between Otis and Gable. Which I can't decide on whether calling them American Machinery or Heavy Alpha. I can't choose between the two. Or maybe like Heavy Americans. Heavy Americans is the one that is what they will be referred to from now on. First of all, Otis's new ring gear is kind of clean. I kind of like it. Secondly, he dominated this match dominated Shinsuke Nakamura, which is really weird to say. Thirdly, Gable actually gave him decent advice when he told him not to do the Caterpillar. I like this a lot more than I should, and I think it's just because I like how naturally likable Otis is, and I've always thought very highly of Chad Gable. So I'm not surprised, but it is confusing. I, I, I don't want Chad Gable and Otis to be a tag team, per se, but if it interests me, it interests me. And I shouldn't deny myself of that. <laughs> I just really hope that it's serious and not some ploy to make Chad Gable go heel or something like that. I don't know. But we'll just have to see where it goes. Uh moving on to another segment. This was a pretty segment heavy episode of SmackDown. This time, it is the first annual Sammy Awards. A brilliant Healy play on the Slammies. Sammy has on his best suit, (laughs) applied his best amount of hair gel, and starts things off by giving us a video package honoring his own greatness. Afterwards, he starts handing out awards. Best comeback of the year, Sami Zayn. Match of the year, Sami's victory at Clash of Champions. Superstar of the year, not Sami Zayn, Big E. Before this happened, Big E hilariously switched around some cue cards in the back. And when Sami Zayn reads Big E's name, he is instantaneously surprised, and Big E comes out to accept the award. (laughs) Uh, Big E is dressed to the T, looking very dapper, starts giving his acceptance speech, and Sami kind of interrupts him like, no, this wasn't supposed to go down like this. And then Big E just punches him in the stomach and then absolutely hurls him down the ramp. Takes the trophy, the little Sammy, throws it on the ground and breaks it and walks away. This was perfection in every form of the word. Sammy getting yeeted by Big E, Big E shenanigans. Sammy doing this in general is just brilliant heel work. And I cannot stress enough how at the top of his game Sami Zayn is at the moment. And I can't stress enough how happy I am that is so. This is the most screen time we've seen Sami get in a long time, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, I know that he's probably going to drop the title to Big E at some point, and I think that's going to be good. I think Big E with the Intercontinental Championship this time around is actually going to be good. And I think that just plays as to how solid of a place, Sammy has put himself. Sammy is at this point where, like, and I've said this a couple of times on the cast before, Sammy can do anything at this point, and it's just going to make him better, even if he loses. That's still fuel for him to be arrogant and annoying, and I just think it's absolutely brilliant. This was such a fun segment. It was hilarious. It was just really, really good. Now, we had some competitive trash talk from Bianca Belair earlier in the back. A little while after that, we had an arrogant response from Bailey. So a match is set: Bailey versus Bianca Belair, one-on-one competition. Bianca ran this match. She's got an innovative offense. She had definitive answers for everything that Bailey threw at her. However, after a rake to the eye, Bailey hits her finisher and gets the win. It's a testament that Bailey had to dip her fingers into her little bag of tricks to beat this newcomer that is Bianca Belair. And I've said it before, and I will say it again. Belair has a huge future ahead of her. Bianca Belair is one of those female performers that embodies, and I don't know how to say this without sounding bad. Like, how do I word this? So when you watch two men wrestle and you watch two women wrestle, you do notice a difference. But every once in a while, those female wrestlers come about that don't have that. They perform just like the men do. And when I think of people like that, I think of people like Thunder Rosa. I think of people like Priscilla Kelly. I think of people like Layla Hirsch in the WWE. I think of people like Bianca Belair, Naomi. Rhea Ripley, Bianca is, like, on the cusp of greatness, in my opinion. And I think that she is going to do big things. The, the fact that her first big involvement is with Bayley is really, really important. And the fact that Bayley had to beat her with tricks is a testament as to how good Bianca Belair is viewed. And I think that she is going to be champion within the next year. That's just a prediction. I really hope they use her properly and they utilize her the way that they should because, my goodness, she is a joy to watch in the ring. Now, the show is coming to an end, and our final segment has Roman, Heyman, and Jey Uso in the ring. Roman goes on to say that this opportunity for Kevin Owens is once in a lifetime and that Kevin Owens is a fool for messing it up and ruining his opportunity. He says that this opportunity was huge. He says, hey, you were going to face me. You were going to face me for my title. You were going to be able to put food on the table for your family. This was it for you, and you messed it all up by being disrespectful. And now it's not going to happen. However, Kevin Owens' music hits, and he limps his way out to the ring like the fighter that he claims to be. And for just a moment has the upper hand. He delivers a chair shot to the midsection of Jay, gets in the ring, starts unloading on Roman Reigns, goes for a stunner, and when he turns around, he gets super kicked in the face by Jay Uso. Then he eats a spear from Roman. Then he takes some nasty chair assault. Then he gets driven through a table. It does not stop there, however, as he is cleaned up, driven through another table, and then buried underneath a mountain of tables, ladders, and chairs that Jay and Roman personally keep striking with other chairs. It was absolutely brutal. But it gives me high hopes for Kevin Owens at TLC this evening. It comes to an end as Roman, Jay and Heyman make their way into the Gorilla Zone and they they look at the monitor, they look at the television that's right there and they see the rubble that Kevin Owens is buried underneath. And for a moment, they're happy. They're smiling. and they're In their brain, this match is not happening at TLC. In, in Roman's brain, this is it. He's got the night off. And then they notice that the rubble starts to move. And then they see Kevin Owens climb from underneath this rubble, set up a chair, pick up a microphone, and sit down in that chair to say something. Roman looks pissed. He looks so mad. And Kevin Owens raises that microphone to his mouth and says that at TLC, he is going to take the Universal title or he is going to die trying. It's a big ol' wow for me. Capital W, capital O, capital W, an insane ending to this show. Perfect way to end a show to head into TLC. Absolutely phenomenal. This was a solid episode of SmackDown. I can't really complain about anything that happened on this episode, to be honest. Everything drew my interest to some extent, and I really didn't have a problem with any of it. On the beard scale, this episode of SmackDown gets a beard that fights and fights and fights and continues to fight. With all that being said, it is now time for Babelmania's... TLC predictions. Classy Freddie Blassie got something he wants to say. Devon, get the table. <laughs> Three, get, get the table. Hey, you heard the man. He said, Devon, get the table. TLC 2020 is upon us. It is happening this evening on the WWE Network, and these are the official Babel Mania predictions. I am going to go through these matches in order of appearance on WWE's official TLC website. From the bottom to the top, we are kicking things off with The New Day defending their Raw Tag Team Championships against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander of The New Day. The build-up for this match has been really good. We've seen very impressive back and forth between these two teams. But, one of these teams is not going into TLC looking all that well. And that is the New Day. The New Day is going into TLC, the underdogs. While Shelton and Cedric are going in, the overdogs? <laughs> the Hurt Business has been looking Beastly for the past few weeks. Specifically, Cedric Alexander and Bobby Lashley have been looking beastly. Shelton, on the other hand, is kind of on the same page as MVP, looking a little beatable. Now, my predictions for this match are that Shelton and Cedric are going to walk away the new Raw Tag Team Champions. And the reason I say that is because I think we are about to see kind of an implosion within the Hurt business. Not something that's going to like drag them down and cause them to be no more, but I think we're going to see something that causes them to become argumentative between one another. I think what's going to happen is Shelton's going to do okay in this match. But I think Cedric is going to carry everything on his shoulders, and I think Cedric is going to be the one to get the win. Cedric is going to turn into like this little egotistical guy who won the belts by himself, and that's what he's going to say, and that's what he's going to think. And I think it's going to cause a little bit of turmoil between him and his Hurt Business brothers. I do think that this is the end of the New Day's reign as champions. This is obviously not going to be the end of New Day. Uh, I don't think that will ever happen. I think they will always be a thing in some way or form. But I do believe that we are about to see them drop the titles. Uh, It's going to be weird because I don't really know if they're going to stay in the spotlight. Maybe they'll drop down to mid-card. I'm not sure, but my prediction for this match is is that Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin of the Hurt Business become the new Raw Tag Team Champions. With that being said, we move on to another tag team match. And this time, it is Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending their women's tag team titles against Asuka and a mystery opponent? Now, this is why earlier in the episode I stated that we were going to talk about this a little bit. Lana, on the most recent episode of Monday Night Raw, was attacked viciously in her leg (laughs) and was sent to a nearby medical facility because of that. And due to this, is apparently not going to be at TLC to fight alongside Asuka for these titles. In my opinion, that is a load of hubbub. That's a load of crap. I think all the stuff that I've been seeing online about Lana being out for a while is a load of crap. I think that Lana is going to pop up at TLC. I think she's going to limp her way into battle. I think she's going to look like a badass. And I think that her and Asuka are going to take the titles away from Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. And I say that. I say that because personally, I'm kind of sick of seeing Nia Jax with a belt around her waist. I don't like it anymore. Don't get me wrong. There for a while, I loved Nia Jax. And I do think that Nia Jax is a very good heel because she's naturally just very good at being mean and rude and a bully. However, she botches too much and she's a little (laughs) overhyped. And I do not think that she is worthy of a belt right now. I think Oscar is one of those people that can just have all the titles and I'm okay with it. And I think Lana deserves to have some gold around her waist because she is taking a beating for the past, oh my gosh, it's been months. It's been two, what, we got 10, four, eight. It's been over two months of bullying and torture to Lana. And... If she doesn't end up with gold around her waist, I do not see the reason for them to do any of the things that they did to her. They have to win. It's got to go for them. In my opinion, that's how it has to be. The prediction is Oscar and Lana re or not retaining Oscar and Lana capturing the women's tag team titles. And I think Lana is going to be the one who gets the pin. We move on to Sasha Banks defending. Her SmackDown women's title against the returning Carmella. Now, I am very excited for this match. I did not think that I would be into this new gimmick from Carmella, but boy, howdy, she has been absolutely slaying this role. This is the best Carmella has ever been. She is doing everything right, she is doing everything with dedication. She's doing everything absolutely perfectly. And surprisingly enough, we're going into this event with Carmella being the aggressive one, being the one that has had more screen time, being the more impressive one. Sasha's going into this event, you know, kind of broken and hurt. And as much as I would like to see Carmella win this match and become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. I think it would do incredible things for her character. I think it would make her unbearable, and I think that she would really use that to propel herself to a different level. I do not see them putting the belt on her that fast. And because of that, I think we are going to see Sasha Banks defy the odds, take the beating, and come out on top. That way, her championship reign looks a little more impressive. Carmella continuously brought up the history of Sasha Banks and how she can never retain her championships. Um, And I think that that's really important. I think this is the match where Sasha proves Carmella and all the other people on the internet that bring that stuff up wrong, and she actually wins this time, and she retains her championship, and she has a little bit more of a serious factor going for her as a champion. I I want to see, my heart is, is screaming Carmella. I just think it would be refreshing and cool. But in reality, my head, I I think Sasha Banks takes this one. So Sasha Banks retains, continues to be SmackDown Women's Champion, proves all the haters wrong, blah, blah, blah. Let's move on to the match that I'm excited the most for. And yes, I am biased. And that is The Fiend versus Randy Orton in a Firefly Inferno match. Now, I have no idea what a Firefly Inferno match is. No idea whatsoever. Okay, let me just say something that might be a little irrational, and people are probably not going to like it, but it's an honest opinion. I did not mind the horror match that Randy Orton had with Bray Wyatt when he was the Eater of Worlds. I did not think it was that bad. I thought it was weird. It came at a time when... Cinematic matches weren't really popping off like they are nowadays, (laughs) but it wasn't that bad, and I think a lot of people hate on it irrationally. I do not think this match is going to be anything like that. I think this is going to be a little bit reminiscent of the match that John Cena had with The Fiend at WrestleMania, and I think that it's going to be a little bit more physical, and I think it's going to be fun. And I actually think it's going to be kind of gruesome. I think something big is going to happen in this match. Now, I have stated it multiple times before. Randy Orton beat Bray Wyatt and took his WWE championship from him. And in my personal opinion, even if you think it's wrong, I think that that did terrible, terrible things to Bray Wyatt's career. I think that was like the final nail in the coffin And there was not going to be any coming back for the Eater of Worlds. Randy Orton cannot beat The Fiend. The last two episodes of Monday Night Raw, The Fiend has gotten the upper hand and has proved Randy wrong. And that scares me because usually when television goes off the air with somebody looking bad, they end up looking good at the pay-per-view. And that cannot happen. My prediction for this match is fueled by everything. It's my head. It's my heart. (laughs) It's my uh, long-time wrestling prowess. It's everything. The Fiend has to win this match. This has to be a definitive win and ending for Randy Orton. Now, I'm not saying that Randy's going to, like, retire after this match or even go away for a bit, but Randy has to take the fall on this one. And my prediction is that The Fiend is going, whatever it is, if, if it's by pinfall, if it's by submission, if it's by countout, if it's, like, like, Randy is just non-responsive, I don't know what to expect, but I'm pretty sure that this match is going to end with The Fiend burning down Randy Orton. I think Randy is going to find himself trapped somewhere, just in something, whether it's the house or it's the Wyatt compound, I don't know, but The Fiend is going to set it ablaze, and Randy is not going to escape, and that is how I think this is going to go. It has to go this way, because The Fiend, this new Bray Wyatt has proven to us that he can bounce back from absolutely anything and everything. And it's it's not that I don't think he would. I think he would bounce back from a loss to Randy Orton. Especially this version of Bray Wyatt. But it just can't happen again. It can't. I don't want it to. It just can't. So The Fiend has to come out on top. With all that being said, we move on to Roman Reigns defending his universal championship against Kevin Owens. Besides Randy Orton and The Fiend, this match has the second best build-up. in order of build-ups, it's The Fiend and Randy Orton, and I say that because I'm biased. Then it's Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns, and then it's Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles. This match has had an insane amount of build-up. And before I get into my predictions, I want to clarify something about SmackDown. And I posted this on Babelmania, but I want to say it here. Uh, the Instagram page. But I want to say it here. The character development over on SmackDown has been absolutely unreal for the past couple of months. Roman Reigns returning and shocking all of us by being a bad guy. And one of the best bad guys I've seen, pretty much, is crazy because it seems to be affecting everybody around him. I mean, we got Carmella at her best. We got Jay Uso, who's literally like breaking more and more as the weeks pass. We got... Kevin Owens back on top, being the fighter that we all know and love. We got Sami Zayn at his best as a heel. It's all just bleeding throughout the entire blue brand, and it's really important to acknowledge that. So, if you are one of those WWE haters, and and don't get me wrong, I can sit around and talk shit about WWE all day. I've been watching this company for a long time. I know the mistakes that they've made. I know how shitty things can get sometimes, but... If you are one of those people that right now just don't see any positive in anything that WWE is doing, please sit down for two seconds and think about character development and how insane it has been on SmackDown. Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens, in my opinion, is going to be absolutely brutal. Roman Reigns is going into this match being absolutely unstoppable, and Kevin Owens is going into this match just unkillable, no matter what Roman throws at him. Even if it's multiple people, at the same time, Kevin Owens just takes it and then stands back up and says, give me some more. And I think that is what we are going to see this evening at TLC. I think Roman Reigns is going to beat Kevin Owens senseless, and Kevin Owens is just going to absolutely refuse to stay down. And I think that this match is going to end with... Roman Reigns pinning Kevin Owens. I don't think he's going to choke him. I don't think he's going to make him pass out. I don't think we're going to see Kevin Owens tap. I think we are going to see Roman Reigns beat Kevin Owens so badly that he pins him, and it's one, two, three. It's not that Roman needs to pin Kevin Owens. It's that for his character and for how bad he wants to be, I think he needs to pin Kevin Owens. Him pinning Kevin Owens and just setting him down for a three count I think would do big things for his character. I know it's like a weird prediction to make, but I think that's just the way it is. So the prediction stands. Roman Reigns retains his universal championship, and Kevin Owens goes down as a fighter. With that being said, we move on to Drew McIntyre, defending his WWE World Heavyweight Championship against AJ Styles. This time, I know the WWE Championship is hanging above the ring, and in order for you to win it, you have to ascend and grab it. I think this match is going to be full of everything. I think Drew is going to look like a monster. I think AJ is going to look like an actual threat. I think Omis is going to get involved in some way or form. And I do think that we are going to see The Miz and Morrison. My prediction for this match is that... Drew McIntyre retains the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And afterwards, Miz goes to cash in and he takes it. The Miz is one of those characters that I only like when he is being the big bad heel. I don't like it when The Miz is being funny. I don't like it when The Miz is being cutesy-wootsy and ridiculous. I like it when The Miz is serious and just easy to hate. And what makes a good heel a good heel is when they do something that makes you mad and makes you go, oh, hell, nah. So after Drew wins this match and retains his WWE championship... The Miz is going to cash in, and he is going to cheat his way into winning another WWE championship. And the heat is going to be unreal. don't get me wrong. I do think that Drew will get it back at some point in time. Or maybe even AJ will get it. And then we'll get Drew versus AJ round 2 where Drew gets it back. But I think this evening we are going to see Drew McIntyre beat AJ Styles... And then The Miz is going to cheat his way to a championship and somehow pin him and become the WWE champion, all because he has that briefcase. Now, there is another thing that went through my mind before I made these predictions. The other thing that I thought of was AJ beating Drew McIntyre and then The Miz cashing in on AJ and beating him. But the reason... I don't think that's going to happen is because I think the heat that the Miz is going to get from pinning Drew is going to be far more greater than the heat that he would get from pinning AJ. It makes sense that he would pin AJ because Drew is like this unstoppable force. Like, he's unbeatable. He's the mountain that nobody can climb. So I did think about that, and I said to myself, can, can, like, is the Miz pinning Drew McIntyre justifiable right now? Well, if it's done correctly, it's done correctly. I don't think it's going to be clean. I didn't say it was going to be like, he's not going to come out, hit him with the uh, skull crushing finale and then pin him. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to, I think he's going to play dirty. I think he's going to bury him underneath some rubble or place like Omis on top of him and Drew's not going to be able to move (laughs) and he's going to sit on top of Omis and get the pinfall. I don't know, but like it's not going to be clean, but that's my predictions. And with all that being said, TLC 2020 will be in the books. And this episode of Babelmania is in the books. Uh, do not forget to tune in tomorrow. I will be having a breakdown episode of TLC 2020 going live at some point. Um, with all that being said, thank you for listening. This has been another installment of Babelmania. I appreciate you. Uh, this was a long one. If you sat through it, you deserve a championship. Uh <laughs> I'm so bad at goodbyes. Oh my god, I have to get better at this. Follow Babble Mania on Instagram at BabbleMania. Follow me over on Twitch, Twitch TV slash young facial hair, where sometimes I watch wrestling and most of the time I play video games. And also do not forget rap game Bray Wyatt. Spotify link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay greasy. Uh keep wrestling alive. Stop being toxic. Smooches Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some rasslin'. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some rasslin'.